0: Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. I have always been fascinated by environments which transform from, you know, dry terrestrial ones to these lush aquatic environments during the course of the year. I remember as a kid visiting a little like depression in a field near my home, which every spring with the rains would turn into a little pond complete with frogs, fairy shrimp and other life forms. It was pretty cool. And I used to love exploring it. And I was just transfixed by the really unique and dynamic you know, seasonal transition. And it was pretty cool to watch. And it was that thrill and that fascination of seeing that little depression in the ground, which I later learned was called a vernal or temporal pool by ecologists. That, That fascination never quite left me. As a fish geek, I knew that one day, one day I'd be able to incorporate what I'd seen into my fish keeping hobby somehow. About five years ago, I got a real bug up my ass, as they say about those flooded forests in South America. And there was something so alluring to me about the way these habitats transition between terrestrial and aquatic at certain times of the year, and the way the fishes migrate in and out of them, and the emergence of all these life forms, you know, in what was formerly a terrestrial forest floor. I found that amazing. And the tenacity of the terrestrial organisms, which hang on during these periods of inundation, is really fascinating to me too. So I began playing with aquariums configured to replicate the function and form of these habitats. I spent a lot of time uh, studying the components of the Agapo and the Varzea environments, the, the two most well-known um, transitional environments in South America. Uh, I studied the soils, the plants, the fauna, all that stuff. And learned about the influences which led to their creation and their function. Once I sort of had a grasp of the way these, you know, dynamic ecologies work, the task of attempting to recreate them in an aquarium became, you know, more realistic, more achievable. I realized that although hobbyists have created what they call igapo simulations and, you know, biotope aquarium contests for years, for example, it was always a representation of the wet season. In other words it was a living diorama of sorts. Really, not really a true simulation of the seasonal dynamics, but a snapshot in time, which was cool, but something in that was somehow missing to me. With those representations, you know, you throw in some leaves, some twigs and seed pods, maybe a few plants, and you call your tank a flooded forest. I mean, it's essentially a botanical-style aquarium, although I think the emphasis on those is more of appearance, not function. So, That wasn't really difficult to do. There's not much of an advancement in the current state of the art of aquarium keeping, and I could do that already. Rather, I wanted to recreate the process, all of it, or as much of it as possible, in my aquariums. Thus, the idea of the urban agapo, a functional representation of a transitional aquatic habitat, was born. Now, the concept behind the urban agapo is pretty straightforward the idea is to replicate to a certain extent the seasonal inundation of the forests and grasslands of amazonia by starting a tank in a terrestrial phase and then slowly inundating it with water over a period of weeks or more running the system in an aquatic phase for the duration of what you would call the wet season and then repeating the process again and again because you can do this in the comfort of your own home We called the concept the urban agapo, and about two years ago, we went more in-depth with some of the procedures and the techniques that you'd want to incorporate into your own executions of the idea. As with so many things in the modern aquarium hobby, there's occasionally some confusion and even misunderstandings about, you know, why the hell we do this in the first place. Well, that's a good question. I mean, the whole idea of this particular approach is to replicate as faithfully as possible the seasonal wet-dry cycles which occur in these habitats. It starts with a dry or terrestrial environment, managed as such for an extended period of time, which is gradually wetted and flooded to simulate the inundation, which occurs when the rainy season commences and those swollen, you know, black water or white water rivers and streams overflow into the forest or the grasslands. Sure, you can replicate the West season only. Again, we've seen tons of tanks created by hobbyists do this. However, if you want to replicate the seasonal cycle, the real magic of this approach, you'll find, as I did, that it's more fun to do than you know, then the the to do the dry season as well. It's pretty cool. Think of it in the context of what an aquatic environment is, uh, or at least this type of aquatic environment. Excuse me. It's a flooded, it's a forest floor or grass line, which has been flooded. So if you develop the hardscape, God, I hate that word. But if you develop the, the hardscape, the infrastructure for your tank with that in mind, it starts making more sense. Like, what do you find on a forest floor or a grassland habitat? Soil, leaf litter, twigs, seed pods, branches, and grasses and plants. Just add water, right? Well, sort of. Now, funny thing, I, mean, I talked about this a lot lately, but one of my friends who was presenting his experiences with this approach was just getting pounded on a forum by some... Well, let's just nicely call them skeptics, you know, the type of internet brave armchair expert types that we talked about a couple days ago about why, you know, why you do this and how it can't lead to a stable aquarium and how it's not a blackwater aquarium. Okay, it wasn't presented as such, but it could be and that it's just a dry start and well sort of but you have to understand the concept behind it, dude. And you didn't need to do it this way. And well, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, the full complement of negative, ignorant questions by people clearly frightened about someone trying to do something a little differently, something they didn't quite understand because they didn't do the fucking homework. In a typical display of online warrior hypocrisy, one particularly nasty asshole or hack, I guess is a better term, uh, did not even bother to research the idea or think about what it was trying to do before just laying into my friend. Apparently, for some of these people, there there was a lot to unpack. I mean, first of all, the idea wasn't intended to be a dry start planted tank. It just wasn't. I mean, it starts out dry, but that's where the similarity ends. It's dry because it's simulating a dry habitat that turns into a wet habitat. This ignorant comment that this guy made was the classic example of why some hobbyists make assumptions based on superficial understanding of something. We aren't trying to grow aquatic plants here necessarily. It's about creating a habitat of terrestrial plants and grasses, allowing them to establish and then inundating the display. Now, most of the terrestrial grasses will simply not survive extended periods of time submerged. Now, you could add adaptable aquatic plants. There's no rules here, but the intention was to replicate a seasonal dynamic, and I felt it would be fun to use real grasses. The, The other point, which is utterly lost on some people, yeah, boy, do I sound angry? I guess I do, but whatever. The <laughs> other point that's utterly really lost on some people is that establishing a transitional environment in an aquarium takes time and patience. One dummy, here we go again, I'm just ripping on people tonight, I guess. One dummy literally called the process complete nonsense and a waste of time. This is exactly the kind of self-righteous, ignorant hobbyist who will never get it. In fact, I'm surprised guys like that actually have success at anything in the hobby, and I'm surprised that he's recovered enough from the bruises on his wrist from knuckle-walking to actually type into a keyboard. Anyway, enough of that. So once again, let's just contemplate what happens in nature in the rainy season in, let's say, the Amazon basin. Now, the wet season in the Amazon runs from November to June, and it rains almost every day. That's what's really interesting to me. And what's really cool is that the surrounding rainforest is estimated by some scientists to create as much as 50% of its own precipitation. Think about that for a moment. It does this via the humidity present in the forest itself, from the water vapor present on plant leaves, which contributes to the formation of rain clouds. Yeah, trees in the Amazon release enough moisture <clears throat> excuse me, through photosynthesis To create low-level clouds and literally generate rain, according to a recent study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States. That's crazy, but it makes a lot of sense, right? And it's yet another reason why we need to protect these precious rainforest habitats. You cut down a tree in the Amazon, you're literally reducing the potential amount of rain that can be produced. It's that simple. That's really important. It's more than just a cool cocktail party soundbite. So what happens to the aquatic environment in which our fishes live when it rains? Well, what does rain actually do? Well, for one thing, rain performs the dual function of diluting organics while transporting more nutrient materials across the ecosystem. So what happens in many of the regions of Amazonia, for example, is the evolution of our most compelling environmental niches. The water levels in the rivers rise significantly, often several meters, and once dry forest floor fills with water from the tor- tor- torrential rain and the overflowing rivers and streams, you get what are called the agapo, flooded forest floors. Now, the formerly terrestrial environment is now transformed into this earthy, twisted, incredibly rich, incredibly dynamic aquatic habitat, which fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize for food, protection, and spawning areas. All of the botanical material, shrubs, grasses, fallen leaves, branches, seed pods, and all that stuff, its suddenly submerged. Often, currents redistribute the leaves and the seed pods and branches into little pockets and stands affecting the, now underwater, topography of the landscape. Leaves begin to accumulate. Soils dissolve their chemical constituents, you know, tannins, humic acids, all that kind of stuff into the water, which enriches it. Fungi and microorganisms begin to feed on and break down the materials. Biofilms form. Crustaceans multiply. Insects fall into the water. Fishes are able to find new food sources, new hiding places, new areas to spawn. Life just flourishes. So yeah, the rains have a huge impact on tropical aquatic ecosystems, and it's important to think of the relationship between the terrestrial habitat and the aquatic one when visualizing the possibilities of replicating nature in your aquarium in this context. It's an intimate, interrelated, almost codependent sort of arrangement. To replicate this process in an aquarium is actually not that difficult. The challenging part is to separate what we're trying to do here from our preconceptions about how an aquarium should work, a la our little knuckle-walking friend that I just talked about to understand that the resulting aquatic display won't initially look like or function like anything that we you know, we're already familiar with. While it superficially does represent the dry start method that many aquatic plants and plant enthusiasts, you know, play with, it, the, the, you know, the, the, the resemblance ends after you, you know, add a little bit of water. It's important to remember that our goal isn't to start plants for a traditional aquarium. It's to establish terrestrial plant growth and to facilitate a microbiome of organisms which help create the habitat. It's to replicate on some levels the year-round dynamic of the Amazonian forests. We favor terrestrial plants and grasses growing from seed to start the cycle. So those of you who are ready to downplay the significance of experimenting with this stuff because people have done dry start planet tanks for years, take comfort in the fact that I recognize that and acknowledge that we're taking a slightly different approach here. That's all. You'll need to create a technical means or set of procedures to gradually flood your rainforest floor in the tank, which could simply be accomplished manually by just, you know, pouring water into the what what essentially is a terrarium over a series of days or weeks or automatically with solenoids or controlling valves or just spraying it once in a while and adding more water. There's no real rule. It's all very achievable, even for hobbyists like me with limited do-it-yourself skills. You just have to innovate and be willing to do a little busy work. You can keep it incredibly simple and just utilize this small tank. You just need to be patient. That's super important. And of course, there's always questions. Now here's some of the major or most common questions that we receive at Tannin Aquatics about this concept. The, the typical question I get is, does the, do, you know, does the grass and plants that you've grown in the dry season, do these plants survive the inundation? And that's a great question. Some do, some don't. How's that for concise? Look, I played with grasses that are immersion tolerant, such as the genus paspalum or bahia grass, as it's known in the landscape trade. This stuff will hang around for a while, submerged maybe a month, a month and a half, sometimes even longer, in my experience, before it ultimately succumbs. (laughs) So sometimes it comes back when the dry season returns, when you drain the, the water down. However... When it doesn't survive, it decomposes in the, you know, now aquatic substrate and adds the biological diversity by cultivating those fungi and bacteria and other microorganisms. You can use a lot of plants which are riparian in nature and capable of growing immersed, like acorus, which is my personal favorite. It grows wet and dry, whatever, uh, as well as other plants, even aquatics like uh, hydro... Is it pronounced hydrocodile? I don't know. Hydroc... I'm terrible at pronunciation of those things. Uh, cryptochorine and lots of others. They can, of course, survive that transition between aquatic and terrestrial environments. So a lot of people say, uh, that's great, well and done, but how long does the dry season have to last? Well, if you want to mimic one of these habitats in the most realistic manner possible, look it up, follow the exact wet and dry seasons as you'd encounter in the locale you're inspired by. Alternatively, I'd go at least two months or dry to encourage a nice growth of grasses and plants prior to inundating the thing. There's no rules. And of course, you can do this over and over again. If you're trying to keep fishes like annual killifishes, the dry season could be you know, used um, based on the incubation period of the fish eggs. For example, some may maybe three months, four months. Uh, fishes like Terralibius, Sinolibius, uh, some of the South American annuals, some could be six, seven, eight, nine months. It, it, it depends. Know your fish. When you flood the tank, um, does it make a cloudy mess? That's another question we get. Does the water quality decline rapidly. Well, sure, when you add water to what's essentially a terrestrial planter box, you're going to get cloudiness from the sediments and other materials present in the substrate. If you're using one of our substrates, the Agapo or Varzea substrate, there's a lot of sediment material in there as well as some soil. It's going to be cloudy for a while. Not indefinitely, but just for a little while. You'll have little clumps of grasses and other botanical materials floating around for a while. Again, very different than any tank that you're used to. Surprisingly though, in my experience, the water quality stays remarkably good for aquatic life. Now, I'm not saying that it's all pristine and cl- crystal clear water and, you know, all, all happy unicorns and stuff like that. However, if you let things settle out a little bit before adding fishes, the water starts to clear up and a surprising amount of life, various microorganisms like paramecium, bacteria, etc emerge. Curiously, I have not recorded ammonia or nitride spikes following the inundation of my agapo displays. That being said, you can and should test your water before adding fishes. It's just responsible to do that. You could also dose bacterial inoculants like our own culture or others into the water to help. The purple non-sulfur bacteria in culture are real extremophiles, and they're well adapted to the dynamics of the wet and dry environment. You can even spray them on the essentially dry environment, and they'll adapt when it gets wet. Now, the other question people ask a lot is, should I use a filter in the wet season? Well, you certainly can. I've gone both ways, using a small internal filter or a sponge filter in some instances. I've also played with simply using an airstone. Most of the time, I don't use any filtration. I just conduct partial water changes like I would in any other tank, although probably a little more frequently, and I, I take care not to disturb the substrate too much if I can. When I scaled up my, you know, urban agapo experiments to larger tanks, like greater than 10 gallons, I incorporated filters with no issues like, uh, you know, uh, canister filters and so forth. A lot of what we do is simply letting nature take her course. Seeding a lot of the control to nature is hard for some people to quantify as technique or method. So I get it. At various phases in the process, our best practice might simply be to observe and do nothing. And with, you know, over time with plant growth slowing down or grass growth you know slowing down or even going completely dormant while it's submerged the utilization of nutrients via their growth diminishes and aquatic life forms like you know biofilms algae and other microorganisms and so forth take over there's obviously an initial lag time when this transition you know phase occurs a time when the greatest opportunity for one life form or another algae or bacterial blooms to become the dominant player in the microcosm weird no it's exactly what happens in nature during this period right And there's a lot of parallels in the management of the aquarium. In our aquarium practice, it's the time when you think about the impact of technique, like water exchanges, addition of aquatic plants, adding fishes, reducing light intensity and photo period, and again, observation to keep things in balance, at least as much as possible. You'll question yourself. You'll wonder if you should intervene and how. That's part of the game. It's about a number of measured moves, any one of which could have significant impact or even take over the system if allowed to do so. This is part of the reason why we don't currently recommend playing with the Urban Agapo idea on a large-scale tank just yet. That and the fact that uh, a lot of you want to use our substrates, and we're just not geared up to produce thousands of pounds of this stuff just yet. We do it by hand in small batches, and it's fun, but it's very tedious uh, labor and tedious process. We're never going to get rich off this stuff, <laughs> so it's just a handmade-to-order kind of thing. Now, until you make those mental shifts, though, to accept all this stuff in one of these small tanks, the idea of replicating it in a 40, 50, or 100-gallon aquarium is something that you may want to hold off on just a bit. Or not, go for it. I mean, if you understand the, you know, and accept the processes, the functions, and the aesthetics of this stuff, maybe you would want to go big on your first attempt. However, I think you need to try it on a nanoscale first to really acclimate your mind to the idea and see what it's all about. The idea of accepting nature as it is, makes you extremely humble because there's a realization at some point that you're more of an interested observer than an active participant. It's a dance, one which we may only have so much control or even understanding of. That's part of the charm, in my opinion. Now, these habitats are a remarkable mix of terrestrial and aquatic elements, processes, and cycles. There's a lot going on. It's not just, okay, the water's here and now it's a stream. No, 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 there's a lot of stuff to consider. In fact, one of the arguments one could make about the urban agapo systems is that you may not want to aggressively intervene during this transitional period because there's so much going on. Rather, you simply want to observe and study the processes and results which occur during this phase. Personally, I've noticed that the wet season changes in my urban agapo generally happen slowly, but you'll definitely notice them as they occur. After you run through two or three complete seasonal transition cycles in your urban agapo You'll either hate the shit out of this idea, or you'll fall completely in love with it and want to do more and more work in this alluring little subsector of the botanical-style aquarium world. The opportunity to learn more about the unique nuances which occur during the transition from terrestrial to aquatic is irresistible to me and to some of you. Of course, I'm willing to accept all the stuff that goes with it with a very open mind. Typically, it results in a fascinating, utterly beautiful, beautiful, and surprisingly realistic representation of what happens in nature. It's also entirely possible to have your urban agapo turn into an urban algae farm if things get out of balance. Yet it can recover from this. Again, even the fact that a system is so-called out of balance doesn't mean that it's a failure. After all, the algae's thriving, right? That's a success. Life forms have adapted. That's a cause to celebrate. It happens in nature too. It requires mental shifts like nothing we've talked about before. So that's my brief periodic rundown on this whole you know, the dynamics and challenges of this whole Urban Agapo concept. It'll be exciting to see how each one of us evolves this idea further as more and more of you are playing with this. And it's really gratifying to see lots of people trying some cool experiments. So when you, you know, when you get out of your own way, all kinds of cool stuff can happen. Stay creative, stay thoughtful, stay bold, stay curious, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The 10.